When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British royal history. The Jubilee is now in full swing. As discussed last week, it, (laughs) my mistake, it's Accession Day, A-C-C, instead of Ascension Day. It's Accession Day, which I realize that I got incorrect, but in my defense, I had heard both Ascension, Accession, and I went with what felt right, but the Jubilee is now officially in full swing, and celebrations are slowly beginning, and tributes across social media are beginning to happen, and boy, this past weekend, the 5th and 6th, were there quite a lot of tributes, buzz, and other things happening on social media that we're going to talk about. But before we get too far into this week's episode, especially talking about the Jubilee, we have some Duke of York updates that got buried in all the Jubilee news, but by the opinion of others and myself, was more of a playful tact of Prince Andrew's team rather than the Queen. What do I mean by that? So this weekend, we had a, we got a pretty big update, but just to recap... Last week, the main bullet points of the Duke of York update was that both sides are in the process of what's called discovery. They're gathering up their arguments, interviewing people, doing what they need to do to put together their case, and of course, sharing information that they need to, to then gather up everything to go to court sometime towards the end of this year. The talks of settlements are back on the table, but again, a settlement hasn't actually been agreed to, just that now both sides are considering it. The big thing that is now a little bit in the airwaves is that Guffrey's team is thinking about accepting the idea of a settlement because there's, quote, a lot of inaccuracies in her story, which I talked about last week. Now the big update is we have a formal date on Prince Andrew's deposition. Prince Andrew's formal deposition will be happening on March 10th of this year, and this was released to the press the same time that all of the official portraits and statements from the Queen and Prince Charles came out. As a result, it got a little buried in the news cycle, which, as discussed by my friend that has no idea who I am, Matta Effect, Amanda Matta on Twitter and TikTok pointed out that this was more than likely not the Queen announcing all of this to cover up Prince Andrew. In reality, it's the other way around. And I agree with this. The Jubilee has been planned for over a year. These posts, these tributes, these announcements have been in the works for months. These something as big as a Jubilee and even a royal wedding or or whatever the big event is, there's always lots of planning. Even here in America, some big event like that, it's always planned. And I've heard in and read in reading books about the Queen's schedule, things are planned at least a year in advance. So this has been planned for an incredibly long time. Prince Andrew's stuff has only come to light within the past few months. So 
I agree with Amanda in this, that this was Prince Andrew's team being very clever in letting this story break, or Guffrey's team, who whoever was in charge of this story being released and uh, broken to the public, but it was released at the exact same time as all this Jubilee stuff, so... I agree that it was their careful planning to have it be buried because I only heard about it when I actually saw Amanda talk about it on TikTok. When I was on Royal Twitter, I hadn't seen this at all. When I was checking my usual news sources that same weekend, this story wasn't anywhere. It wasn't until this week preparing for this script that I saw it. So it was very cleverly hidden. But back on topic, Prince Andrew has a formal deposition date. March 10th, it will be taking place in the UK. It is at least two days worth of formal questioning, and he will be under oath. It is a formal deposition. Guffrey's team is, quote, looking forward to confronting Prince Andrew with his denials and attempts to blame Miss Guffrey for her own abuse at his deposition and at trial. Now, this is not the actual formal date. This is just his formal questioning. The actual trial date has yet to be set. It is looking, by what experts have said, that it will be probably around September is where people are saying that know more about the interworkings of this. I'm just reporting on facts as they come out. But a lot of royal correspondents and legal experts are saying the soonest this could probably happen is in September, but sometime towards the end of this year is when the civil trial should be taking place. Now, this formal deposition does not include the Duchess of York or their royal highnesses, Princess Beatrice and Eugenie, and it does not involve Her Majesty the Queen. This is just Prince Andrew's formal deposition by himself. And additionally, other news sources are still making their waves where people want him to be stripped of his titles, they want him to be stripped of everything, but again, as a formal reminder, that would require large acts of parliament, and it would it's not so easy as what happened with his HRH and his military titles. Those stripping of his dukedom and his princedom would take large acts of parliament. But that's the big formal Duke of York update. He finally has a date for his deposition, and things are beginning to progress. Now on to the big Jubilee news that happened this weekend. And as an aside, always the big news happens right after we publish an episode, so maybe we need to move the release date as a fun joke. But on February 5th, the Queen released a formal letter to the Commonwealth, to the UK, that did a lot. There was It was just one page. It was incredibly touching. It was a wonderful way for her to reaffirm her promise to the monarchy that she made all the way back in 1947. The letter was all about her service and dedication to the monarchy, thanking the people of the Commonwealth and the UK for their continued support, mentioned her family and Prince Philip as, you know, great additions and service. It was all service, service. It wasn't about her. She, of course, signed it very formally with your servant Elizabeth R., which is Um, The abbreviation for Elizabeth Regina, which is her formal name as queen. It is not Elizabeth Alexandra Mary. It is Elizabeth Regina, Elizabeth the Queen. There's a much bigger portion of this letter that is making everybody feel a certain way. And for me, it is something that here at the podcast, we've known for quite some time based off the signaling that's been happening in the past few years. But now it's been completely reaffirmed. Everybody here is aware that the running feeling still to this day in the UK is that 
everybody, <laughs> the same feelings actually still pop up here in, in America. Everybody wants the throne to go to William and Catherine. They want it to completely pass over Charles and Camilla because their approval ratings have always been really low. No one's really liked them. Everybody still to this day is really divided on Camilla and Diana. Well, in this letter, the queen formally addressed it, but in a very respectful way. And she (laughs) reaffirmed that the power of the line of succession does not lie with her. It's what it is. It can't be changed. The crown will go to Charles. And she explicitly gave her blessing, permission, consent, whatever word you want to use there for Camilla to be queen consort. She actually said Charles will be king. Camilla will be his queen. And the entire subtext of this letter is, I'm very grateful for all the service that I've been able to do and the service you've allowed me to do. Your support means the world, my family's support, and their work and dedication to you. We work for you. Also, Charles is going to be king. Camilla is going to be queen. This made huge news because everybody was on pins and needles when the last few years, as we all began to notice that talks of princess consort were going away, that part of the sort of declaration after they got married in 2005 was just very subtly removed. They didn't make any notion of it. You know, the Camilla is now a member of the Order of the Garter. She's getting more responsibilities. She's doing more work. And as an aside, she's been working really hard. I'm not gonna lie. I notice that People are still very critical of her for things back in the 80s and 90s. But now, since she entered the royal family in 2005, she's been doing a lot of work. And, you know, in my opinion, showing that she's a real asset to the monarchy. But everybody is up in their feelings and having their opinion, which they're allowed to, that no, Diana will only be, she's the only true queen consort to Charles. You know, she's the real one, blah, 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 blah. And this is the only argument that I will say. Diana is and was a wonderful human being. She was flawed, like the rest of us, and she truly had heart. She was a wonderful asset to the monarchy, and she helped change it in ways that it's still changing to this day. She was. She stood with her heart. She brought us William and Harry, albeit if people are really critical of Harry right now still. But Charles and Diana divorced in 1996, and in the divorce, she gave up her claims to being queen consort. Yes, she got to keep the title of Princess of Wales, she got a settlement, she could still stay in Kensington Palace, and she was beginning to forge her life outside the royal family in the year that she was outside, but she was never going to be queen, even if she survived that car crash. She gave up that in the divorce settlement. Whether she was forced to or not is beyond us. We, I wasn't there. But everybody keeps talking about, this is my you know, royal hot take, is Diana was never going to be queen, period. She gave up that right when she divorced Charles in 1996. And as legal right, Camilla, being married to Charles, being married to the Prince of Wales, she now has the legal right to do so. Yes, Diana... She's still a role model to me. I like studying her, learning about her. You know, she's a source of inspiration in all earnesty, but she was never going to be queen. She said it herself, and legally she couldn't do it. But this letter 
where the queen officially affirmed that Camilla is the new queen consort has everybody up in their feelings. And there's now, again, as happens every few years, this big resurgence of the argument between Diana and Camilla and Charles. The queen is doing damage control before the damage control is even needed. She's trying to remind everybody that she has no say. This is, it is what it is. We can't change this. So let me know on Twitter what you officially think. I remember posting the letters on both the official Twitter and the official Facebook page that, you know, our suspicions were true. Here at the podcast, we knew this was coming before they even said it. And they began hinting at it. The engagement with Charles and Camilla and with Catherine, where Catherine wore an almost to the T exact um, outfit that she wore with the queen a few years ago in 2019 when they had a joint engagement. Again, they were giving us signs months before this actually happened. That is the big news from the Jubilee weekend. This letter that got published that then of course Charles responded and it was a very touching thing where he's like, you know, thank you for your 70 years. Congratulations. I'm very grateful for the statement that you made about me and my wife, but you know, it, this is all about you. Congratulations. Okay. Thanks. Bye. William and Catherine on their social medias just reposted everything. They didn't actually make a formal statement or if they did, I haven't seen it. And Prince Harry and Meghan haven't made a statement at all or any like a congratulations. When I say statement, it seems like it's something really formal, but just a congratulations. You know, thank you for your service. We didn't formally see that on social media, but we don't know what happens behind closed doors. In addition to this really formal redeclaration of her service, reminding us that she's never going to abdicate, there was a formal photograph that was released on a session day that was an official portrait of Her Majesty the Queen with one of her red boxes. It's a beautiful photo. She has a great smile. Looks like she's in the middle of a laugh. But there's very subtle tributes to her father in this picture. There's a very obvious one. If you look in the foreground, there's an actual photograph of King George VI, her father, in there, which is a very obvious, very touching tribute. But very subtly is the jewelry that she's wearing. A running theme at this podcast is noticing that the royals send messages through their clothing and everything is done deliberately. And this is no exception. The queen wore the ivy leaf brooch, which is a collection of two brooches. It's a brooch set that was given to her as a 21st birthday present from her parents, King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, the queen mother. They were originally made in 1930 and 1937 by Cartier for Mrs. Greville, and they were bequeathed to the Queen Mother in 1942, and then they gifted them to Queen Elizabeth, then Princess Elizabeth in 1947 on her 21st birthday. And additionally, one thing to make note of, which is something that's really touching, could mean nothing, but it at least was there in the photographs that we saw of the queen and videos. She had a cane, but if you look at the cane and look at past photographs, it's a cane that Prince Philip used quite frequently that he was photographed with. So she was wearing brooches that her parents gave her when she was in her early twenties as still princess Elizabeth. And she is using a cane that was used by her husband. So it's wonderful touching tributes to her family and to her support system. But that is the big wrap-up of Jubilee Weekend. A session day, this bombshell letter that has made everybody feel all their feelings, has re- has confirmed suspicions that we have all had for years. We, there's been a bunch of speculation, but now we 
have official news that Camilla is going to be queen consort, whether we like it or not. We do have some royal rumors that are beginning to circulate. Many people are saying that the queen made this big formal statement and reinforcing not only her service, but reinforcing Charles and Camilla being the next king and queen consort is a way to get do damage control, but also to hint that, hey, the, be- the beginning of the end may actually be near. And one of the biggest rumors that's beginning to spill is that there's a committee already in place beginning to plan Charles's coronation. This is very much in wake after the queen gave her blessing to Charles and Camilla. It's alleged that these plans are already underway and there hasn't been any formal announcement yet, but many reputable news sources are all saying the same thing and that Camilla's crown has already been picked. It is heavily rumored that Camilla will wear the exact same crown the queen mother used for her coronation, which the top part can come off and she wore the circlet to the queen's coronation in 1953. So this is a crown that has a lot of value within the royal family and it's sort of has this connotation slash colloquialism of being the consort's crown. But a little bit about the crown itself. This crown actually has a lot of history. The crown was first made in 1858 by Queen Victoria to replace Queen Adelaide's royal diadem. Queen Adelaide's diadem was made in 1832, but was remade for Queen Victoria in 1853 to accommodate the new um, Core Enor diamond, the Cumberland diamond, and other additional diamond sets. However, there was the Hanoverian jewel claim, and in 1858, all of the diamonds had to be removed from the crown that had been made, and had to be returned to the King of Hanover, except the Core Enor diamond. Then to replace all of this and have it remade again, Queen Victoria turned to Gerard, and the frame of the diadem is pretty much the same, but the jewels have been replaced. In January of 1937, Gerard's as the crown jewelers began working on it again for King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, to prepare for their coronation, and they were instructed to prepare designs for this new queen consort crown using diamonds from the regal circlet and the court in Noor. What you see now is that crown. Not only did Queen Victoria wear this, even after it was worked on and diamonds were were replaced, but Queen Mary wore this, Queen Elizabeth the Queen Mother wore this, and I believe Queen Alexandra wore this as well. So not only did a queen sovereign, as a queen of sovereign, wear this crown as a circlet, but other consorts from Alexandra to Queen Mary to Queen Elizabeth the Queen Mother have all worn this crown in some way, shape, or form. And it only makes sense that Queen, that when coronated as Queen Consort, Camilla would be wearing this crown. So it makes logical sense that, you know, it's a way to pay homage to the consort's past. But rumors are already abuzz of Charles's coronation, the coming, all of this and that. But there hasn't been any formal statement, so at this point, it's all rumors. Take all of that with a grain of salt, even if you see reputable news sources reporting on it, because I heavily doubt they would let any of this leak before any news or planning or even the death of the Queen would have happened. We do have, in the last little bit of fun topics, there's Oscar buzz. So if you remember a few months ago, we reviewed the film Spencer, and we weren't necessarily the biggest fan of it in terms of the production of it, the storytelling aspect of it. And of course, if you, if you want to listen to it in the review in its full entirety, you can. But we acknowledge that Kristen Stewart, given what she had, did a very good job. 
and she was very vulnerable on film, and overall, she did a very good job portraying Princess Diana. Well, she's been nominated for an Oscar, and it is a very big honor. This reinforces one thought I have. If you ever get asked to play a royal in any serious film, nine times out of ten, you will probably get nominated and or win an Oscar. It happened with Helen Mirren when she played the Queen. It has happened when Olivia Coleman played, uh, ooh, Queen Anne in The Favourite. Olivia Coleman, Claire Foy have all won awards for their portrayals as the Queen. I believe Dame Judi Dench was nominated for some form of awards when she played Queen Victoria. It's just something that happens. You play a royal and you get awards and you get nominations and your career begins to take off. It's just something I observe as a casual movie reviewer. Do I think it's warranted that she got a a nomination for her work? I think so. The film has issues that we've discussed about in the review that you can go back in the archives and listen to, but Kristen Stewart has been nominated for an Oscar for Princess Diana, and you can bet if she wins, we will congratulate her and give her her moment in the sun. Now, on to today's topic. (laughs) So, today we're going to take a minute to reflect on the Queen's 70 years of service. 70 years of service, 70 years of dedication, countless hours of tours, thousands of miles traveled around the globe, and enough stories to last more than a lifetime. But when we think of the Queen and her service to the crown and her life as Queen, we typically will gravitate towards the more serious The Aberfan disaster of 1966, Michael Fagan breaking into Buckingham Palace in 1982, the whole mess of Princess Margaret trying and attempting to marry group captain Peter Townsend, the quote-unquote Annus Horribilis of 1992, all the ups and downs with the economy, oil, the value of the pound, all the prime ministers that she's had, all the family members that have come and gone during during her during her lifetime. There's a lot of really serious aspects that I don't want to belittle, but it's very easy to get bogged down in the serious when there's a human behind the crown. There's a whole actual family behind the glitz and the glam and the jewels and the orders. And today, we're going to share some of the more fun and comical stories to remind us and all the seriousness that... The Queen's actually kind of funny. One thing that is a common thread that is always discussed when people share stories of the Queen, personal interactions of the Queen, when she's not, you know, quote-unquote, on 100%. She's given her speech, she's shaking her hands, and now she's just making the rounds talking, is she has a very quick wit and a very dry sense of humor. You either get her humor or you don't. There's myriads of photos of her laughing, either landing the joke or being in on the joke and getting everybody to laugh. And it was having fun, and the Queen, throughout her entire lifetime, but very much in her 70 years as Queen, has had a lot of either comical moments where she's landed a joke, or been really sarcastic, and today we're going to talk about a few of them, and reminding everyone that there's a person underneath all of that pomp and circumstance, and today we're going to have a little fun. The Queen has had a few cases of mistaken identity, where people forget when she's out in public that she's the Queen. The Queen's former protection officer, Richard Griffin, uh, remembered a story involving a group of American tourists while she was walking around on the Balmoral Estate. For those of you that don't know, during the summertime, the Balmoral Estate is open for tours, but it's just the outside grounds. You can't go inside the castle, which is fine. She was in her full-blown Balmoral kit, Balmoral outfit, 
and she was walking around and a group of these Americans approached her and said, quote, have you ever met the queen? And she looked at them and looked at her protection officer, Richard Griffin, and said, no, but he has, and quietly giggled and walked on. Another, again, funny story is artist Juliet Planet recalled <laughs> when she was painting a portrait of the queen, the monarch told her a really funny story when she was out buying groceries. Quote, in one of her stories, she told us she had been at Sandringham one day. They were having tea when they ran out of cake. So the queen said she had gone down to the local shop to buy some, wearing a headscarf. As she came out of the shop, an elderly lady said, Good heavens, you look just like the queen. She replied, How reassuring, and kept walking and <laughs> quietly giggled to herself. So people forget what the queen looks like and look at her and go, Hey, you look like the queen. I would hope so. This next little short anecdote is false in its inception, but the queen has actually leaned into it. So the story goes that Ronald Reagan, when visiting England, was traveling in a horse-drawn carriage with the queen. They were smiling, waving at the crowd, having a grand old time, and one of the horses farted, apparently very aggressively. The two were forced to continue their duty as waving to the crowd, you know, being the president and the queen, all the while smelling and trying not to react to this horrible smell. The queen turned to Reagan and said, I do apologize, Mr. President. To which Reagan replied, that's quite all right, your majesty. I thought it was the horse. In reality, this story is actually fake. It's a fun little anecdote that I couldn't find necessarily where it began, but whomever the foreign head of state was gets replaced a lot with either Bill Clinton, George Bush, George W. Bush, um, any other foreign dig dig dignitaries. But where the truth is, is that the queen is aware of this story. And apparently at other dinners, other meetings, she's told this story herself and has leaned into it. And there's multiple accounts where she's at least told this story. But in reality, while comical, is actually fake. This is one that I've heard quite a few times, and it kind of shows not only the Queen's sense of humor, but a moment where she was kind of a badass. It is well known in her time in World War II that the Queen is a trained car mechanic, she knows how to drive, and she's a very skilled driver, and she still drives herself to this day when she can, especially on her private estates. Well, years ago, she was having a Saudi dignitary ambassador. I've heard it was a Saudi prince. I heard it was uh, the Saudi king some higher up person in government was there and of course in Saudi Arabia as far as I know women still aren't allowed to drive so he was up in his feelings about you know a woman being in the position that she's in and the queen decided to have a little fun suggested that they go on a tour of Balmoral one of her favorite Scottish estates and so he got in the back seat waiting for the queen to join him and the driver to get up front but no, the queen got up front and apparently drove a little fast in her drive and tour around the Balmoral estate. Apparently, this utterly terrified the uh, Saudi dignitary, which is something funny that I've heard a few times in magazines that she did this very subtly to put him in his place. Our next little short anecdote involves the actor Michael Caine. Apparently, Michael Caine a few years ago bought property near uh, the racetrack that is allegedly Ascot, but you never know. But for this story, it will confirm nor deny that it was Ascot. But his property was so close and backed up to it that he had his own private drive and way to get into Ascot 
Well, apparently the royal family liked to use that without his permission to get in. And apparently he didn't realize it was the royal family. So all he saw was all these black Land Rovers driving on his property to get into the racetrack, and he had had enough. So he walked out and started shouting, quote, get off my effing property. And then a scarf-clad woman behind the wheel of the Land Rover looked at him, and he then realized that he was yelling at the queen to get off his property. I don't know about you, but I would very much put my foot in my mouth at that moment. This last little short anecdote is my favorite, and you can watch this video on YouTube. This is earnestly my favorite, and it involves the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. During a dinner in Malta in November of 2015, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was in his full-blown speech mode, was giving a wonderfully detailed speech about Queen Elizabeth's very long and full career, and she's been working for so many years. And he pointed out that he also was her 12th Canadian Prime Minister to serve under her, at the time, 63 years on the throne. When the Queen started to give her own toast, she <laughs> looked at Justin Trudeau and said, Thank you, Mr. Prime Minister of Canada, for making me feel so old. That <laughs> video still to this day just makes me giggle. And, of course, Justin Trudeau did damage control and tweeted out that, quote, The Queen is forever young in his eyes as a way to try to save himself. These are only a few of my favorite sh little short anecdotes of funny moments with the queen. Mistaken identity, very comically putting somebody who had opposing views in their place, getting yelled at by an actor who didn't realize who she was, and lastly, being able to laugh at herself and make jokes about her age. It's very easy to forget that she has a wonderful sense, sense of humor Apparently, at Christmas time, the royal family no longer gives, like, gift gifts. They give each other gag gifts. And apparently, the queen, as the younger generation, gives more crass and crude gifts. She fully leans into it and laughs with them. And I personally think it's great. There are countless stories of people meeting her. And while her humor is dry and at times a little too sarcastic, it shows that she doesn't take herself too seriously she has fun, and that's a tool that we all can take in life, just being able to laugh at yourself and have fun. 70 years on the throne is an incredibly long time, and it is a big honor, so congratulations to you, your majesty. But this is a wonderful reminder to all of us to never take yourself too seriously. Be able to laugh, have fun, because you never know how long your job's gonna be. <laughs> and there we have it, some short little anecdotes about the queen and her 70 years. Next week, we're going to start a little mini-series into uh, why we don't necessarily like Prince Charles and the idea of him being king, and a little retrospective into why we pit royal women against one another. No matter what, we always seem to do it. But there we have it. You have two episodes to look forward to, and these fun stories that you can share with your friends. My sources for today's podcast are CNN.com, Matter of Fact on Twitter and TikTok, British Royal Jewels on Instagram, Woman'sWorld.com, a few anecdotes from Quora and other comedians, Cosmopolitan, the Royal Family website, Royal.UK, and of course, Wikipedia. If you made it this far, thank you for stopping by the podcast today. I greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to improve the podcast or give me recommendations for future topics, you can drop me a line over at BritishRoyalFanPod at gmail.com. Any and all suggestions are welcome, and I enjoy hearing from all of you. 
If you want to stay up to date with everything happening within the podcast, you can either head over to Twitter and follow us at fanatic underscore royal, or head over to the Facebook page, the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. The family's growing, and I enjoy seeing all of you there. If you'd like to support the podcast, you have two ways to do so. You can head over to PayPal for a one-time donation, or you can head over to the Anchor homepage and set up monthly donations that way. I know times are tough right now, but any and all donations are wonderful and welcome. I am a one-man show over here, so any help is greatly appreciated. Head on over to wherever you're listening to rate, review, subscribe, and share. It helps everything. The more you do, the more the podcast family can grow. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe and stay healthy, and I will see you in the next one.